The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to NXT The Rise and Fall, a look back podcast covering, I suppose, what you might refer to as the glory years of NXT, the black and gold era. My name is Sai, I am one of your hosts, and joining me as always is the other half of the hosting duo, the more informed, the more educated, and probably downright more interesting, the king, Joshua Goodwin. How are we doing, sir? Oh, I'm, I'm doing wonderful now. You're always such a flatterer. Never know what to say. I'm blushing. I'm blushing, listeners. I'm blushing. It's a royal flush, is what it is, yeah? A royal flush. I like what you did there. Very good. Hey, quick thinking, mate. Quick thinking. <laughs> Ideas factory, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then, today's episode of NXT, The Rise and Fall, we are looking at the episode of NXT that first aired on July the 11th, 2012. We're starting to see... Um, some more familiar faces pop up on the show, whether it's via vignettes or actually performing as well. But we'll get to that shortly because the start of this, which I think is our our fourth episode, Joshua. We're a, we've we're got, a month in. We're a month in. We are indeed. We've got something new that we're going to be running pretty much every week, I believe. And that's a little check-in timeline-wise as to where people stand with regards to what's going on in the wrestling world, future NXT performers, uh, and so on. Do you want to give a little bit more of an explanation as to as to what we're going to look at here with what we're referring to as the Goodwin Report? The Goodwin Report. Yeah, so really it's just wanted to provide a little bit of context for people so that they can uh, get a grasp of what's going on in the wider wrestling world outside of the little nxt bubble outside of full sale yeah yeah great so, stuff uh, 
So yeah, I mean, this week, yeah, yeah, this week then, for example, um, okay. what what exactly have we got? I mean, like as I said, it's July the eleventh, twenty twelve. The so, advert yeah, so, on the show is for the Money in the Bank pay per view. So so yeah, yeah. What what are we looking at? So the uh, as you say, the week of July the eleventh on the uh, Monday Night Raw this week, the main event was the team of CM Punk and AJ Lee defeating Daniel Bryan and Eve Torres. The uh, main event of SmackDown, who had Sheamus, world champion at the time, Sheamus, wow. that was a long time ago, defeating uh, Chris Jericho. And in a small city in Japan uh, for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Yukote City, uh, on a show that was attended by 900 people in the fourth match, you had the future Finn Balor, Prince Devitt, teaming with Rasuke Taguchi. Yuji Nagata and Togi Makabe to defeat Minoru Suzuki, Takamichi Noku, Tachi, and Lance Archer. How many of those names did you recognize, Sai? Uh, a few, a few. <laughs> I, I don't mind a bit of New Japan. Obviously, Takamichi Noku, I know. Uh, he, he he's, he's in New Japan again now, isn't he? They got like a crossover with his own company and he acts as a, a, a sort of a spokesperson for, for some wrestlers, I believe. Obviously, yeah, Lance I mean... Archer, I recognize, uh, AEW mm-hmm. wrestler there. Uh, Minoru Suzuki, I'm a big fan of. I love Suzuki, he's fantastic. Oh, he was great until he, you know, turned to glass. Bless yeah. him. <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's at least 104, right? Yeah, surely. Must I be. Still, and I still wouldn't say it to his face. No, definitely not. Definitely. But I love, like, you, you see things on, like, uh, Instagram and Facebook and so on of this really scary looking dude who, who's got this gimmick of being an absolute killer. Um, putting together a Hello Kitty tricycle for his grandkids and stuff like this. It's absolutely fantastic. I, I really love it. It's great. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's Japan, isn't it? Yeah. Japan's weird like that. Yeah, <laughs> it is indeed. But I'd still love to go. Um... <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Me too. I think it's yeah. about as far as you could get from this planet that we live on mm. without actually leaving. Myself? Yeah. Maybe just after Christmas time would be a good time to go. Tokyo Dome. Uh, <laughs> but there we go uh as i said this episode of nxt is broadcasting on july the 11th and we're starting with someone who effectively has been probably i would say the biggest star on nxt in the previous three weeks opening the show here in tyson kid and he's taking on camacho who is accompanied by his well, it is his friend, as William Regal on the commentary explains. He stood up for him in an alleyway fight or a bar fight in one instance and bit someone's eyeball out, apparently. It's funny listening to William Regal list off stories about Camacho's dad, isn't it? Yes. Because <laughs> he's just telling he's just telling haku stories, but saying yeah. it's Camacho. I mean, maybe Camacho did it too. It might run in the family. He is one hard bastard, Haku, isn't he? Let's be honest. Oh, yes. <laughs> It's funny, um, we, we seem to have started talking about scary boys to begin the show. We did, we have, yeah. I mean, that's a scrap I'd like to see, actually. A prime Haku versus a prime Minoru Suzuki. Oh, Just there, there, wouldn't, it. there wouldn't be much left, I suspect. No, no, I imagine not. I imagine not. Uh, this match very much came across to me, I, I suppose... <laughs> We've said it before on the show about simple storytelling can, is is a powerful weapon, and this here, I suppose, fits into that category for me anyway. When I watched it, because you had the smaller, I suppose, more technically gifted Tyson Kid up against the, the larger Camacho, and it was almost like a, a sort of battle of kids' speed potentially versus the power of Camacho, who, because of his size, was naturally 
uh, more slower than his opponent. I guess is that have I read that correctly? I that was yeah, that's what I'd put down. I'd say it was you know the story big versus small, power versus technical ability. I mean, mm. as you said, it's a it's a simple story. But it's a very simple one to tell. And especially at the moment where we're still in the stage of building the foundations of NXT, I don't think you need more than that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's a few spots here that I really enjoyed. Or oh, there's one in particular that the crowd really enjoyed as well. We'll get to that straight away. The old Skinner of the Cat that Shawn Michaels, I suppose, was quite renowned for back in the 90s and numerous other people before that as well. But then going up into a kind of head scissors to take his opponent over the top rope by Tyson Kidd. Now that move to me, I've never been a massive fan of it because it looks obvious to me that it needs your opponent to assist you in, in doing that. But the crowd are also here. They popped for that big time, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, as you say, there's a little contrivance to it. I personally prefer it when you're able to hook the legs under the armpits. Ah, yes. It feels a little bit more, I mean, there's a, higher degree of difficulty i'd say the thing that i found interesting about that spot was actually the thing that came after it which was the hunico being ejected for yeah well explained reason and i have a theory on that which is i believe that camacho was supposed to send kid to a different rope in order to skin the cat right i believe now stay with me. I believe that the dive, which was all, which they had after it, um, and they always dive onto the ramp. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's lots of space there. Little leg dive, space, yeah. yeah dive onto the <laughs> ramp, um, and so he got sent out there. And I believe that maybe Hunico was supposed to do something there that led to the referee booting him, but they called an audible and it it got there in the end. Um, yeah, just a little bit like. Hmm, well, he didn't actually do anything. Why Why is the ref sending him away? I think Regal actually uh, pointed that out later. He's like, I don't know why he did that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a note I've got as well. I've literally got here for very little he got sent out. When you mm. see how... I mean, sticking just with WWE, I guess, when you see how certain participants will have companions with them, whether it's managers or valets or however you want to word it, and the interference they you know, often sort of put onto the match themselves and then eventually get sent out. This, literally, there was nothing here. But if, if that's if that's how you saw it, in that maybe there was something supposed to happen that didn't quite go in order, then that would make a lot of sense, considering how I felt a bit lost at that moment as a viewer. If there was mm-hmm. something missing, that would kind of explain that, I think. It's a theory, and it's it may have been a situation where something was put together in the planning and maybe camera angles weren't considered. I don't know that for a fact. I'm merely pontificating. Um, but there was definitely something went a bit wobbly. I don't, again, it wasn't so terrible as to, uh, you know, take the show off the rails, but it was definitely something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I get you. Uh, I, there's a really cool spot here as well where the pair were on the mats and Tyson Kidd had, I don't really know how to word it properly, but he had, he had some sort of, uh, effectively an arm bar or version of on his opponent and then rolled around the back of his opponent and slipped him into a backslide that i really enjoyed oh yeah again that's i think that's uh just tyson kid just knowing more wrestling than most anyone else because no i'd never seen that before tyson kid so far every week has shown something that i haven't seen before and yeah. you know that's very very impressive because you know i watch a fair 
fair whack of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I and mean, to me, I mean, so obviously we're, we're only four weeks in here, of course, and he, he shows less than an hour. So we're not even four hours in, I guess, into the beginning of our journey. But he's been the star for me so far. He is an absolute standout for me every time I see him. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say um, he's definitely a person that was brought down to full sail to help bring people up. He was experienced enough that he can have good matches with people who are maybe less experienced. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the case with Camacho. I think Camacho is a very talented wrestler. Like he, I, he seems to just exude this charisma as well. I don't know if uh, you know you'd agree with that, but mm. yeah, just has this charisma about him, and everything he does looks good. Um, but yeah, I mean, to bring a little more context, Tyson Kidd was actually in you'd said money in the bank. He's in the money in the bank match yes. this year in 2012, which should give some indication of like his spot on the card with relation to the others. Um, but yeah, Tyson kid again, it's keep coming back to it. Such a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Could, have, a big shame. could have done more. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, something else I really enjoyed, but I enjoy it in every match. I see it in uh, Tyson kid stood on the apron and his opponent is on the floor and he goes to basically swing a big kick at his opponent. Camacho catches his leg, swings his leg one way, jerks at the other, and sends Kid falling onto the apron. Again, it's one of those where I suppose I'm contradicting myself a little bit because it is one of those where it looks like it does need quite a bit of assistance from the person you're wrestling. But to me, the bump at the end of that, it always looks quite dramatic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a big old bump. I believe that was the thing that switched the momentum mm. in this if I'm mistaken um yeah again like it's one of those that kind of tests the boundaries of physics and biology but it's it's kind of one of those established things now you know it's, yeah. it's no no more contrived than an irish whip and since oh, we yeah, that's it. <laughs> since we can get away with those i think all bets are off somewhat yeah exactly uh around this stage in the match with camacho in charge I noticed his footwear and he's wearing effectively daps, converse daps. Converse, now, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm looking at that and I thought, okay, this is a question. I, it literally popped in my head when I saw what he was wearing on his feet. How important do you think, having been in the ring yourself, the footwear you wear is? Is it a case of you, you sort of tough certain things out because it's part of your gimmick or is it because obviously you're on your feet all the time, you're moving around and, and your, your balance and your positioning and your footwork is incredibly important. Is it more important to make sure you've got it right from that aspect? I mean, how does wrestling and trainers for a start work? I mean, if it obviously it's doable. It has its own risks that come with it. Obviously, one of the things about the long boots is you have ankle protection. Yes. It's support. Um, that being said, obviously, boots can have uh, their own what's the word like dangers they can have their own dangers due to the fact that well some people for example wear lifts so you know try wrestling in high heels mm. um yeah okay and uh, you know so again i can't say as i'd want to do it um but it's it's something that can be done i mean cena's gotten away with it for years yeah. enzo enzo mori <laughs> did it he didn't get away with it quite so well as he uh supposed to have broke his leg because of uh i think i remember hearing a story he broke his leg applying a wrist lock so oh why either applying a wrist lock <laughs> or escaping a wrist lock 
So uh, it's it's not ballet, kids. Although no. uh, although slight tangent, I've never liked that because ballet sounds brutal. But mm. by the by, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but then I've never seen a ballet where somebody's picking up the other dancer and dropping on their heads. So. Not on their heads, but if you've watched a wrestling match where someone's picking them up and dropping them on their heads, something's gone wrong. Well, this is true. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Camacho also attempts a middle rope leg drop, which he misses. But then Kid doesn't really capitalize upon it very much because we then get them back on the ropes again. And we have almost like a, a double underhook or is it a butterfly suplex potentially from Camacho. And Tyson Kid travels a bloody long way from that top rope, doesn't he? He sure does. I'm not. I think you might have missed a bit there, Sai, because okay. I'm fairly sure that Ty, Tyson Kidd has his uh, his fire up in between those. Right. Okay. Yes. He he, d- he does the big leg drop that I would not do ever because I value my tailbone. Um, I, Matt Hardy used to do it virtually every match. Oh. Didn't he? Yeah, and it's like I, I always think my more, my mind obviously never been in the ring and so on. My mind for some reason doesn't go to my tailbone. My mind goes to the small of my back, like compressing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, you get both. Both definitely carry a risk. Obviously, right. uh, you can't put too much stock in what Hulk Hogan says, but he's supposed mm. to be a couple inches shorter now because of that leg drop. But then well, yeah. <laughs> he, re- he he also wrestled 400 days one year. So uh, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, there we go. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there was he. They both had like the the double down, if you will, and then believe Camacho got up to his feet first and then they had the uh the fire up and i believe um tyson climbed the ropes and then that's right macho got him and then you had the yeah. double underhook that's right yeah you are correct yeah um yeah. i mean obviously I'm, the, the, there's other things that happen after that suplex but we end up with if i jump into the finish i guess Tyson Kidd goes for what looks like a sharpshooter, but he also does that dungeon lock, doesn't he, that we spoke about the other week. So maybe he's going for that. But it's the same setup initially, isn't it? Yeah. And you you kind of see him hanging on for a second or two and almost checking over his shoulder because he's waiting for uh, our old buddy, Michael McGillicutty, who he's got this running rivalry with. Uh, He comes down. And this is something that I never really enjoyed. He's not got in the ring but it's enough of a distraction for Tyson Kidd to let go of the hold. And then he gets hit with a, a big DDT and, and that's the end of the match and, and Camacho wins. Now I understand it's the, it, it's the purpose of it is to further their story. I fully get that. And it gives Camacho a big win. He's beaten the guy who I view as the star in his first few weeks. And, you know, McGillis, Cutty and, and Kidd are, are moving on with their program. But that kind of distraction technique we see it all the time in wrestling, don't we? Like all, virtually every show, there's something like that may happen. Can we not think of something different at times? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, like wrestlers have never been credited as having like staggering IQs. But how stupid do you have to be to let go of a hold mm. when you've got one applied or about to have one applied because there's another guy? A potentially match-winning hold. We've seen him win a matches. Potentially match-winning yeah. hold, indeed. Um. It's it's one that irks me. It's probably I'm. It's probably something I have myself done because you know wrestling. Yeah. Um, but then that doesn't make it acceptable, and it's certainly something we should hold ourselves accountable for. There is there are definitely yeah. Uh, there's a big bag of tricks that we can dip into. Maybe we could try some of the ones uh, 
you know, that we haven't used already, mm. like the yeah. 14th time on this show, for example. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's, um, as you said, it's, it ke- keeps their thing going. And I want to just have a quick shout out for the fact that a DDT was a finisher. Yes. Loved it. Loved it. And, that, and that's how it should be all the time, you know? Yeah. All the time. Dropping, dropping a guy on his head. Exactly. Exactly. Look at Arn Anderson, eh? How many heels kicked out? I mean, sorry, baby faces kicked out of his DDT. I hated that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We get uh, the information then. Well, a reminder, I suppose, because it was first mentioned to us at the beginning of the show. But we get a, a reminder w- with a, a, an image on screen. that Our main event this evening is the Usos versus the Primetime Players, who is obviously a team that we're familiar with, but not yet in NXT from this watch back anyway. And this mm-hmm. follows, this is followed by, sorry, a Bray Wyatt promo, which again is fantastic. The music is eerie and the, the camera going through the woods. And even before that, going through the, the town, I guess the village or out in the sticks where, you know, uh, and Bray's voice over the top. And then we get the, the shot of him putting his hat on his head and the words Bray Wyatt debuts next. And literally sat, I mean, obviously this is the beginning in the in ring beginning. And we're now, you know, the weekend we're recording this, we're heading into Clash at the Castle. There's talk about Wyatt heading back to WWE. We've seen all the Fiend stuff and, and the Funhouse and all that. But this, to me, still got me crazy excited, even though I know what's going to happen in the next few years, because I'm thinking this guy is just money to me. He is living proof that sometimes you just need the right gimmick. Mm-hmm. Some Some guys, I feel... You do need a gimmick. There's nothing wrong with having a gimmick. Um, and I think he was an individual. I mean, do you remember Husky Harris? I do. Yes. Um, and he just sort of, you know, muddling along. I mean, he was ridiculously young at that point. He would have been early 20s. Um, but yeah, I mean, his work at that point was fine. He was just kind of blah. And he was yeah. an individual that needed a character and clearly it was something he could really sink his teeth into. And yeah, it, it just one of those guys. And I think having that character just, again, it, it made him interesting. It made him larger than life. And it was something that really, uh, you know, really elevated him as yeah. we're about to see. Yeah, totally. And you mentioned there about somebody without a gimmick yet or a gimmick that doesn't work for them yet being a bit blah. I think we get two examples of this coming up because first of all, we see Justin Gabriel who in ring is superb. I, I, I like this guy, you know, every time I've seen him wrestle, he's looked brilliant. And he, he has an interaction with Heath Slater who who's, you know, been on the main roster and he's been having issues with the legends. It was that sort of time frame, wasn't it? And, and they mentioned he was, he's, he's been getting murdered by legends for weeks. Yes. And I remember getting a massive kick out of seeing Sid come down and powerbomb him and stuff like that. that even though the guy wasn't the greatest, I'm a big Sid Mark. I used to love Sid in WCW. So I got, yeah. I mean, again, I think it comes to the person you were at that mm. time as well. And like, yes, it's great. Again, one of my favorite wrestlers was Eugene, who yes. is now, when you consider it a highly questionable character and clearly not an individual who was going to be the tippy, tippy top of the card. But, at that time when I was like 12, it was like, ah, he's the greatest thing ever. And you know, yeah. you think he's going to beat triple H. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. It's great stuff. I mean, uh, Heath Slater. I've not got an issue with he's done 
great stuff with being given very little the whole three-man bands and the one-man bands and the i have kids and all that he's always done well with he's always ran with the ball so to speak whatever he's been given he's done well with yeah justin gabriel i think it's a real shame that it never worked out long term for him because the guy's obviously got talent and you mentioned as well about uh guys without a gimmick being a bit blah bray wyatt's opponent coming up here i think is another example that backs up backs up the fact you've just said there aiden english here he's just a guy called aiden english now he goes on to be a lot more than that and he's obviously a talented guy he's put together as well mm-hmm. but the gimmick i think kind of made him really yeah i mean i think he obviously this is a time period where people are trying stuff out. i think he mm. was um going for like a thespian kind of a thing but at the time he was very much it's not your night tonight kid so we'll we'll explain your character another day for today you're just going to get murdered by bray wyatt yes and murdered he was indeed bray comes out and he's straight away on the microphone before you've even seen him you hear him which is playing to his strengths straight away i think and he gives another sort of almost similar to the vignettes that we've been seeing that kind of cult leader mystical kind of uh, sort of whimsy to his voice as well and william regal comes out with a fantastic line he gives me the collie wobbles that's that, that part me. I, I was laughing so much for that that was brilliant i mean regal on commentary is fantastic i think more more than that the thing that got me was when bray's music hit william regal just went oh dear and and as you say it just set the tone i did actually have something about regal's commentary that i wanted to quibble so since you've brought him up and that is that he um he talks about bray wyatt's amateur wrestling at one point talking about how he's a national champion and there are some individuals for whom their credentials elevate them Mm. and there are others for whom I think it doesn't necessarily hurt them, but it takes away from their aura. For example, I don't care about the fact that The Undertaker had a collegiate basketball career yes. because he's The Undertaker. And so I feel that had like had Roddy Piper started spouting off about, you know, his ability to block a basketball on the, in the first Survivor Series, as opposed to look at the size of that hammer. Um, <laughs> that it would have hurt him as opposed to help him. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good example. And Bray Wyatt's the same, I guess he's this, he's got this, this gimmick, this aura about him. Now amateur wrestling and so on, especially in in the States, you're doing that at high school and then into college, aren't you? And stuff like that. I don't want to think about Bray Wyatt as a high school student. Cause that takes away a little bit of the creepiness. Yeah. I like to think of Bray Wyatt. Like he dropped out of the sky one day, like Mr. Bean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just like, know, or, the spotlight. Yeah, or was or was raised in the basement of a church somewhere in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, just just raised on the swamp with that yeah. impossibly white trousers for somebody in that such a muddy area. But there we go. Um, Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Effectively, we're outside the ring within the first few seconds, aren't we? And Wyatt bounces poor Aiden English from the crowd barrier to the ring and back again over and over and over. It was like me with my wrestling figures when I was a kid. That's the sort of thing I would do. Just bang, 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 bang. You know, that's how it came across to me anyway. But I mean, Aiden English here, 
obviously all the focus is on Bray Wyatt. He's he's the star they're pushing. He's the guy they've been promoting, and he already looks like a big deal here. But Aiden English is throwing himself all over the place to try and make this guy look good, isn't he? Certainly, uh, putting a shift in for uh, for you know young Bray. Um, and yeah, Bray his offense all very like unique. Now, mm. as they say, unorthodox and very simple, very straight ahead. The thing that really struck me with Bray was, and it's something of a cliche, but for a big lad, he really can shift. Yeah, He can move that weight. I remember uh, him hitting that splash in the corner. He, I would be interested, especially at that time, to have known his 40-yard dash. Mm. Cause yeah, because he explodes, doesn't he? he? Yeah, explosive. That's it. He can shift. And uh, that sister Abigail as well. Yeah, like It was a perfect move for him because it has that everything that he did had that snap to it and everything in between was slow and methodical, which really emphasized like the snap of everything. And so it just made it that much more violent because speed kills. Yeah. And Oh, say, yeah, I mean, that was something else I want to bring up as well, actually, because it's something that we have spoke about before on the show. You actually run through the match and I'll do it very, very briefly. Now we had, we had the bumping on the outside between the, the ring apron and the crowd barrier. We had a vertical suplex, but Bray doesn't go down with him. He just lets him go and he sails and anything that sails through the air. We have that splash in the corner, as you mentioned. And then again, just completing the collection of moves. We have the sister Abigail for the three count. But what I noticed more so now than before we started doing this podcast, after talking with you previously is the moves were only a real small percentage of what we were seeing here. What Bray Wyatt was doing in between the moves, I think mattered even more because the way he was walking and at one point he dances with Aiden English is effectively a limp body at the corner. And then the big one for me was after he's hit the finish, the, the sister Abigail, how he makes the cover. He kind of skulks up onto him and cradles his head as he's almost almost apologetically to his opponent that I've had to do this to you, but it's, it's, it's the means to an end potentially. It, I think everything about that carried on from the vignettes we've seen. It'd be very easy for the vignettes to be filmed a certain way, the, the eerie music and all that, then the bell rings and it doesn't work. But I think just this very first match here, the character going into the ring is the same as what we've seen in the forest, isn't it? Yeah. He's a guy who the character is, zeroed in on he's not finding his way he knows exactly what he's doing he knows this character inside and out everything that he does i imagine he's an individual who's thinking like bray wyatt like the the performer is gone everything is bray wyatt and one moment that i wanted to point out like after he bounced english off of the uh, barricade in the apron he just wagged his finger at him at one moment yes like, like a little naughty boy i was like that that's just genius as you say, there's just a playful whim. There's a whimsy to him. Mm. Like he's yeah. just having the time of his life. It's it's going to be fascinating to me, as, especially seeing how this grows now. Because obviously, I know Wyatt from the main roster. I know Wyatt from NXT as well. But seeing it from day one with with the vignettes, and then the in ring debut now, and then the, building up to what I know Wyatt to become, I, I, I think that's going to be incredibly interesting for everyone like who's watching along with us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think he's gone too soon to uh, spoil it, but I think he heads up to the main roster. He doesn't die. Sorry to mm, he, right. he heads up to the main. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> breaking news here on NXT Horizon 4. Bray Wyatt <laughs> will not be in Cardiff this weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there was something else that I've been meaning to point out, and I've been meaning to point out for four weeks now, and okay. I've never found the time to, I've never found the moment to fit it in. So, have you noticed, Sai, that they, that NXT do not have a traditional hard cam? I'll tell you what, on this episode, I did notice that there's quite a few shot. I wouldn't say over the turnbuckle, but sort of to the side of the one turnbuckle, but over the top rope. So almost half diagonal, potentially, I suppose, maybe like a, a four o'clock or a five o'clock on a clock face, potentially. Yeah. Now, and, apart sorry, from man. that, it, apart from that, it's not really stood in my mind. But yeah, now you bring it up, I can. And, and the reasoning for that is because I believe they were trying something like they were trying a hard cam with a crane. So they've got the switch, this, the shots that you're talking about are coming from a crane. And so okay. where there would traditionally be a hard camera, there was a, as I say, a, a big sweeping arm. And so you've got some of those sweeping shots. I don't know for me, for me, sometimes it made me feel a little bit sicky sick, but not, mm. it wasn't anything too bad. And as, as is evident, if you hadn't really noticed, it wasn't off putting. So, it, I wonder where it went and I wonder when it's going yeah. to leave us because it wasn't, it was interesting. I, I don't know as it was game changing, but it was definitely something I deemed worthy of comment. Yeah. I wonder if I'd have noticed it more if, if where they are was bigger because being in that smaller venue with a much smaller crowd, I think there is a different feel to what you're watching anyway. So maybe I kind of overlooked that difference and just put it down to something else. But a while back on SmackDown, they started shooting SmackDown from a slightly, I suppose not too dissimilar angle to what we've just discussed. It was almost a diagonal angle onto the ring. And they tried it for a few weeks, maybe a month, potentially. I mean, they even went to a pay-per-view and did it that way as well. And I hated it, but I noticed it straight away with SmackDown. So maybe it was the, the size of the venue made it more obvious. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I think it it says a lot about how co- production values can really um, add a lot. Mm. Because um, to go back to the Tyson Kidd Camacho match, I believe that that opening they had like an opening running spot, and it wasn't something that would look tremendously out of place in say AEW. Mm. But I believe that because of the cuts and the camera angles, it actually looked a lot smoother and a lot crisper. Like okay. it, it covered up a lot of the like the fumbliness. I mean, that might say something about the level of talent as well. Couldn't comment on that necessarily, but it definitely uh, again production values add a lot more to pro wrestling than people necessarily think. For example, another just a tangent on top of a tangent. Did you watch um, World of Sport when it returned? Yes, I did. Yes, every episode. What did you make of it? It was funny because we watched it. I was always going to watch it because it's world of sport and it's wrestling. So, you know, but it became a big thing in our house to sit down and watch this world of sport show. Jim Ross was on commentary. So straight away, it's got my attention because I love JR. I'm a massive JR mark, as I've told you before, but also a couple of faces familiar to us in my household. were on the show as well. Justin Sison was on the show. And of course we've seen him wrestle a few times and everyone who's ever heard me talk about my, my youngest daughter, Charlie knows that she is Yestin Reese obsessed. 
She adores this man. There's more pictures of him in her bedroom than there is me, her own dad. It's embarrassing. But um, <laughs> so when he was on the show, it was a case of it became a big thing for us all to sit down and watch. I had quite an issue with how gladiators stroke catchphrase it felt with regards yeah. to the, the lighting and almost like very I, i'm a 90s kid I, I you know i was born in 81 so i was late 90s was sort of my early well later teens and so on so i look back on that time frame very favorably that's when i was going up town and all that sort of stuff and not anything 90s nostalgia based i love however this didn't feel 90s nostalgia based it felt 90s nostalgia out of date when it shouldn't have been almost at 90s standpoint it almost felt too colorful it almost felt too i uh, sound such a silly thing to say but too too lit up too bright in places mm-hmm. and it did feel like watching gladiators or catchphrase from back in the day or noel's house party with the way it was lit and the way it was filmed and so on now interestingly enough my daughter who was watching it along with us, who's obviously, you know, like, as I mentioned, 12 years old, she won't tolerate watching anything that's particularly old because she's 12 and she's just like, what's this nonsense, dad? You know, mm-hmm. that side of things or the way the production of it didn't bother her one bit and she really enjoyed watching it. So I don't know whether this is an age thing. I don't know. I mean, what was the point you were trying to make with regards to the production? How did you view it? So, so here's my point of view and, and here's my theory. And then I'll get to what I experienced. My theory is that it was TV people doing a TV show. Right. Which, you know, as a TV executive makes sense because it's it's television, right? It's not real. You know, it's TV. Mm -hmm. However, I believe that pro wrestling needs to be presented as a sport. And what I mean by that, not only in terms of like, you know, the announcing and such, it needs to be filmed like a sport. Now, the issue that I had with World of Sport was that the camera cuts were so frequent and so frenetic that it actually made me feel like nauseous Mm. and not just out of personal taste, as in motion sickness. Yeah, no, I get that. And and I think you need that steady, you need that steady lens sometimes in the same way as if you're watching football, you need that those long shots, those long sweeping like you can go down. And you know, go down pitch side, but you need to stay there for a moment mm. because if you have too many like frenetic cuts, it you you a lose the action and b it can be disorienting. See, this is really interesting though because I was actually going to speak to you when you mentioned about how the hard cam was and so on and, and the camera angles on this episode of NXT. I was actually going to ask you, your opinion on how they do things on Monday Night Raw as an example recently maybe not right right now because obviously vince has gone and things are changing and so on but up until then with i believe it's kevin dunn who's who's the producer there mm-hmm. quite famous for his camera chops and changes and i mean there's there's one famous clip that a friend of mine sent me where somebody threw like 10 punches on the mat and there was 14 camera changes in that time uh, and the camera zooming in and out as certain moves are happening. Now, the reason I bring that up is you mentioned about motion sickness and feeling a bit nauseous because of watching on World of Sport. Uh, Sharon, my wife, whenever she would watch WWE in that era, would pick, get exactly the same thing. 
However, again, and I, I use her as such a big comparison in my wrestling fandom because it's a, a different set of eyes from a different era, I guess. But Charlie, it doesn't tend to bother her. And I wonder if it's a generational thing because you look at, say, how, how younger people now consume their content, the likes of TikTok, the likes of YouTube. It's all quick videos. I mean, I watched... There's a couple of YouTubers that Charlie subscribes to, and I watched a video of her of them going around Disneyland or Disney World or whatever. And there's four or five of them filming stuff on their phones, just messing about with their mates and all that. They're having a great time. Good luck to them. But the camera is c- cutting from one person's phone to another, to another, to another. So it's quite quick cuts in the video they've put together. Now, I struggled to watch that, but Charlie will sit and watch hours of it without a problem. So I wonder if this is just how younger people consume their content now. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Uh, obviously, it's not something I have a real frame of reference for at the minute. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it may be the case. Um, it's. I guess it's not something that I'd considered. Um I mean, don't get me wrong, it still sucks and they shouldn't do it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they should, I'm, I'm with you, I don't think they should do it now. Again, I, I, I always had the theory that it's the sort of thing that needs to be presented as a sport for the reasons that I've given. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe it's because of the fact that they've always consumed content like that, that they don't have a problem with it. Mm. Um, but I haven't, so I do. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. Uh, just anything changing like that. The first time that you mentioned the football, the first time that BT Sport got uh, rights to show any Premier League games, they took the scoreboard on the clock from the top corner to the bottom corner. Ooh. And it's a tiny little thing, but it just completely messed me up. I couldn't watch the game properly. I was like, because I could get distracted by the clock in the bottom corner and so on. Oh, you know, I, it's weird, but. that That's like having a new phone or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You exactly. know, everything's in the wrong place. Uh, you mentioned as well about the world of sport thing. We will get back onto NXT very, very soon. But you mentioned world of sport there and it being feeling like it was done by television people as opposed to wrestling people and so on. Uh, I've spoken to to Yestin for my old podcast a couple of times. And on one of the, the last occasion I spoke with him, he came on and spoke about world of sport and his experiences on that, that, that sort of promotion, that program, however you want to word it, serious potentially because it ran for what, 12 episodes or whatever it may well be. Mm-hmm. And he he didn't go into masses of details, and I'm gonna I, I can't remember word for word what he said, but uh, so I'm paraphrasing here. And if I get anything wrong, I apologise. I don't want to sort of put words in in Yestin's mouth. But he said pretty much what you are saying. It was ran by TV people, not so much wrestling people. And the final editing was done that way. So there are moments that happened using him as an example. There are moments that happened with him that were very important to what they were trying to put in front of people that mm. didn't actually make it on screen when he watched the show back at home. So then what happened in the next couple of moments made zero sense. Cause that first thing was, was, was took away. I mean, all the old SJP wrestling podcast shows are slowly popping up over the weeks, one by one on, on the main SJP world media feed. So eventually we will come to that interview. So people will be able to hear it back again, but it's really interesting. You pointing out what you thought and effectively echoing what Yestin kind of said, some of his experiences were. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, an added wrinkle, if you will, because that's very much a situation of you need the people 
everyone needs to be on the same page. You need to be telling the story that goes from the performers to, you know, everyone else in the ring to the commentary to, you know, the whole production, the camera people, they need to know, because as you said, they'll miss stuff going to say directors and editors. So if there's a disconnect there, so if the editors, for example, aren't wrestling, people don't understand wrestling, don't aren't interested in wrestling. They're just putting together something, you know, we've got X amount of time. Here's the story or, you know, not sorry. That's the thing they, they're missing that story element. They're just, you know, and then you just get moves in a row and moves in a row can be fine. But if it misses, if it's lacking that heart, it's not going to strike on an emotional level necessarily. And if it doesn't strike on an emotional level, it's just not as impactful as a viewer. You don't care as much. You're less likely to, you know, tune in next time or buy a ticket. Couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. Uh, getting back to this episode of NXT then, we're basically up to, uh, well, we're told anyway, a little bit of a fib because we're told her as our main event. But that's not quite right. We get a couple of minutes, a couple of moments just before the main event occurs. We're told our main event of the Usos versus the Primetime players is next. However, we then get a video promoting Money in the Bank and, and our little star there, Tyson Kidd, is, is involved, you know, which, is, which is brilliant for him. We then have Richie Steamboat backstage talking about how excited he is to be in NXT and the opportunities that a young wrestler can get there. And Adam Rose arrives, or Leo Kruger, as we know him at the moment, mm-hmm. and says, you're not as good as me. And then they start scrapping. So obviously we're heading somewhere with those two in, in the coming weeks, aren't we? Yes, I'd say so. The um, It's interesting. There's an interesting duality to elements of this show because they had this promo and steamboat didn't really say anything and sort of tripped over his words a little and repeated himself. Mm. And then Kruger, I think just came out and said some, some Krugerisms as it were, like some things that I imagine were already in his back pocket. And then they commenced to scrap in and it was fine though. It didn't set the world on fire. Again, it keeps the story progressing. Um, but I think it says something about the lack of scripting in that promo and to throw all the way back to the Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel promo that I think was clearly done on the main roster with scripting, with heavy scripting, because at one point Gabriel tells Slater, you know, he wants to make a statement very much because it's Slater's feed line. It's very much mm. like Slater has a retort okay. for the words making a statement. So I think it can prove that not enough scripting can hurt something, but too much scripting can hurt it a heck of a lot more, in my opinion, because that that promo with Slater and Gabriel, that fell very flat, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose the term you hear a lot when, and again, we're, we're using WWE as an example here, but the term you hear a lot with regards to people cutting promos and regards to the, the scripting or non-scripting and level of it is bullet points. A lot of a lot of people you hear say we just want to be given bullet points and le- then let us talk. You know, which I suppose is if you if you are someone like a Bray Wyatt or I suppose a Ric Flair or whoever who can do that. The Rock is the probably the, the greatest example, I suppose. That's fine. But then if you do get someone like a Justin Gabriel or a Richie Steamboat who it's not the strongest part of the package they bring. Mm-hmm. Just giving them bullet points may be a hindrance to them potentially. Well, 
again, I think we got both sides of the same coin in that instance, because Um. Gabriel, as you say, clearly not the strongest talker. It's not his forte. And so the scripting probably hurt him and Steamboat not having anything particular to say, I'd say that hurt him. I'd say for my own opinion, it probably hurt Steamboat less because it didn't come across as so forced and it, he didn't quite have the deer in the headlights of like, I am reciting lines on his face. I suppose he also said a lot less himself. I mean, Gabriel was talking a lot more without actually saying anything in particular, wasn't he? Yeah. I I mean, they both didn't have a heck of a lot to say, Um, but Richie Steamboat had less time in which to say it. So I guess that helped. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't have said that either of them were terribly, terribly bad. Mm. But I, the the thing that really gets me about WWE, like writing, is not so much that the verbiage is all the same as the pacing is all the same. The pauses yeah. all come in the same place, and so it gets very predictable, and it's, it just doesn't. Again, it doesn't feel real. There's no authenticity to it. And as you said, you can't talk like Bray Wyatt. No. You can't write Bray Wyatt's verbiage for Bray Wyatt he will put periods in where he's going to he you know you you couldn't imagine trying to write a promo for a Jim Cornette that just you you wouldn't need to put any punctuation in no that's it <laughs> and it's, it's it's an ability that I I've always admired you know you see these stories about these people back in the territory days and whatever oh look we're we're in Kentucky in two weeks Her, you need to three minutes on Kentucky. We're going to be there in three weeks. We're going to put it on the TV and then Cornette will just go. And then two minutes, 58 seconds, he signs off. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. It's something I would, I don't think I could wrap my head around. I obviously, I uh, cut the occasional promo and I try to hit my times. Most of my times are self-imposed. Okay. I get a little bit of leeway with that. Um, But yeah, I think more than anything, it's reps. It's that repetition, because as you said, they'd have a TV day and they'd do hundreds of promos. Yeah. And so I think you'd get it down to a... You'd either get it down to a science or you ain't going to get it. And I think that's something that you found with wrestling way back when, with the cream rising to the top a lot more because, well, just through necessity. You know, there, there were people who, you know, they worked on top everywhere they went and there was a reason for that. And it's something that we don't have so much anymore because, well, it's just not something we have so much anymore because. Well, time moves on, I guess. Yeah, time time moves on. Um, the territories are gone. Yeah. No. Very much so. Very. Much. I, I think it's sad, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, we also see a vignette here for Raquel Diaz, who is going to debut next week uh we have jim ross joining us on commentary here absolutely fantastic and (laughs) uh we're told though by jim ross that this is a very very important tag match and this is kind of where we have the same issue that we discussed the other week well it's an issue for me in that we haven't got the titles there yet and the whole purpose of nxt is to perform so you get picked up to go onto the main roster i get that but when you've got the commentators saying this is a very important tag match and then there's a duration before it's explained because the winner of this is going to get looked at by WWE management, it makes the initial comment a very important tag match seem 
quite redundant because it wasn't followed up on straight away. And I just find I just find myself sitting there literally for the next 60 seconds going, well, why is it important? Why does it matter? It didn't feel it didn't feel like a big deal to me. No stakes. Exactly, yes. There you go. There's no stakes. And until they have those titles, there's no stakes. However, it could be argued until you have you've laid those foundations, you can't really build any kind of stakes. Oh yeah, totally. It's just down to me being impatient. I, I fully understand yeah, sure. that they, but I, you, you can't you can't crown a champion and have the viewing audience and the live audience care if this is the first time they've seen them. You, you have to, as you said, lay the foundations and make people invest in these characters before, I suppose, you take the next step of going, okay, here's our championships. And then all of a sudden, you know, wrestler A versus wrestler B in the final means something because you like one guy or you dislike the other so i appreciate that but from my standpoint describing a match is really important when the, as you said there is no stakes it almost felt a little bit of a piss taken away mm-hmm. yeah i can uh, i can see that opinion um as you said i think that there's just because there's nothing to fight over there's no personal issue right now it's what you call a cold match you know that and mm. As you said, it's not as if they can even argue that they're fighting for like rankings. It's just right now, it's just, you know, you get a look at the next level. You can potentially yeah. get to Raw and SmackDown, which yeah. they don't even say it in that specific a term. It's very broad. Like, oh, you, you might get to the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. And it does take away a little bit. But then at the same time, as much as I'm a fan of the Usos, this match didn't really do it for me. I'm not going to lie. It felt, it felt quite, I don't know if I was put off initially because of that early comment or if that influenced me at all. I don't know. I don't think so. But the crowd were a little bit quieter than what, I mean, they're, not, they're not massively noisy and, uh, and, and boisterous anyway at this stage in NXT, but they felt a bit quieter than, than what we have seen in previous weeks. I've never been a massive fan of the primetime players. I'm not going to lie. They don't do a great deal for me, but that's just my opinion. I appreciate there are other people who do enjoy their work. It just never really got going anywhere for me and just kind of felt flat right the whole way through. Yeah, I think both teams were at a stage when they're still very much formulating you know, their identity, especially the primetime players. I think mm. they'd been around the length of a sneeze at this point. Right. Um, and the Usos were very different from the Usos you see today. Yeah. Didn't they say Us a lot? Oh, then? did they ever? And it was very much, you know, they're very much that pandering. It's kind of like when you see a wrestler go, come on! Yeah. You know, to try and get a bit of noise, which, again, is fine, but it can be a crutch. And I think mm. they were definitely using it as a crutch at this point. Um, as I say, everything was kind of, it was just sort of there. I yeah. remember thinking that Titus O'Neil looked very out of, not necessarily out of place, but he looked flustered. Like he didn't currently have like that poise, that confidence that you need, especially with, okay. and especially with a tag match, like the focus is to not allow the opponent to get that tag. And with that, you can run the risk of like fumbling and less haste, more speed. Yeah. Okay. You know? I, um, with Titus O'Neil, sorry, I always find yeah. him. I mean, the guy is put together, isn't he? He looks incredible. And he's a massively tall fella. And 
in his recent, more recent wrestling years and so on, he, he obviously does a lot of public speaking now as well, but like the charity work he does and so on, he's a lot more confident, it appears. <laughs> However, I, I don't know, I don't know whether it's just his body shape in general or the way he stands or, or whatever, but he always looks just slightly off, like whether his arms are too long or I don't quite know what it is, but he always looks just slightly off to me. He does have very long arms with relation to the rest of his body. He's a bit limmy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way. Put, a bit limmy. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know that I, takes away a little bit for me because it looks a bit clunkier with him because of that. I don't know. I mean, I don't, again, I just, I don't necessarily think that he's, he's not one of those guys that just has that killer instinct for pro mm. wrestling. And he definitely didn't at this stage. Um, I think that, you know, he's doing very well now. And, uh, you know, he's always, uh, you know, he, he's done all right out of wrestling yeah. talent regardless. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I uh, basically, just very briefly running through this match, I guess it, it, it is quite flat to me. As I mentioned, we end up with the Usos in control for a great portion of, of, of the match before the, I suppose the heel team take over for a while. They're working one of the Usos' legs for a, a good portion of the match, which I didn't mind that because they're picking a body part and working on it. That makes sense. Um, eventually, we get Jey Uso getting the hot tag. It all gets a bit messy then. The referee is distracted because one Uso is hurt. And with the referee's back turned, we get the primetime players hitting. Well, it's basically Demolition's old finisher, isn't it? It's the elbow drop onto the, onto the backbreaker that they used back in the day. And the primetime players pick up a win, which for them, again, similar, I suppose, to uh, Camacho in our opener. They've beaten somebody who is, in my eyes, in these early weeks, more established already. So all of a sudden, I suppose their name value has taken a little bit of a, a bump up for me. Definitely. I'd say it was, um, yeah, it was definitely a way to elevate the primetime players as opposed to the other way around. I think the Usos were definitely more established at the time. And so it was definitely a little shot in the arm for the primetime players. Also, 2022 eyes, isn't it ridiculous that the primetime players beat the Usos? Oh, yes, 100%. Um, <laughs> discussing the um, the finish, as you said, um, I believe what happened was Titus O'Neill uh, gave one of the Uso on the floor like a boot to the gut and like rolled him into the ring. And then the ref just sort of turned around. With not, yeah. without any prompting. I would have preferred it if Titus had done something to attract the ref's attention to the fact that the Uso was in the ring. Therefore, he was able to come in and essentially elite, like cheat to, uh, you know, perform their tag finish, which I, again, it's very much a callback. It's something that was very much from the 80s and early 90s, like that kind of a finish, uh, which I've got a lot of time for, but just those little parts of the execution can very much take away from you say just just those little things that make you go oh why did you do that yeah yeah exactly exactly uh, and, that, and that's basically the end of the episode we are looking forward to next week i guess our main event coming from the promo that we saw the the exchange sorry that we saw earlier on our main event next week is justin gabriel versus Heath slater so that's going to be quite interesting to see how those two are getting on at this time um, but yeah, that's it. The, the primetime players have a bit of a celebration, mess with Darren Young's hair, and, and off they go, I guess. So that's the end of that episode. 
Joshua, I suppose we should give it a few ratings here in our usual way. We have our plus points and our bad points, our softs and our glorious. And then obviously we, we rate it hit, miss or middling, don't we? So do you want to go first or second? And do you want to go with a positive or a negative? There's only one word to describe you. Glorious. You're soft, you slap. No, I will go second, Si. Okay, no worries. Uh, I will go with our soft first because I like to finish on a positive. For me, it's the main event. It just felt like it was given quite a bit of time, but it was just flat and and nothing there for me. Even the Usos, who even at this point in their career, where they're not developed into the Usos that we we know and admire now, or even in previous years running into this time now, even the Usos did nothing for me in this. And I just think it was a wasted opportunity, really. With that amount of time, they could have done more maybe or at least done something to excite me potentially it was just a flat main event for me is my soft this week mate yeah i can see that one i think for me my soft would probably be the gabriel slater promo okay it was very much it didn't fit and it didn't fit for one because it was very much it had that heavy scripting to it and also it it just didn't it just came across as really flat and it, it was almost the opposite of why toilet improv from a few weeks ago sucked. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, like again, toilet improv sucked because it didn't have enough guidance. I'd say this had too much guidance and just, it, it just fell really flat for me and it didn't have any of the authenticity, like compare it to a, to Bray Wyatt, for example. And it's just mm. night and day in terms of like, I entirely believe that Bray Wyatt is a living, breathing human. I did not believe that Heath Slater or Justin Gabriel were actual people. No, no, I know what you mean. And that and, brings and us considering, to Sorry to interject, sorry. Yeah, no, sorry to interject, but considering how over the top ridiculous Bray Wyatt is compared yeah. to the fact that he's but more believable, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, totally true. Totally true. And again, like I said, that brings us to to our glorious points, I guess. And mine is very straightforward. It's Bray Wyatt. This guy was the star of the show. He was the star of the show before he walked out on that stage in the vignette. He was the star of the show walking to the ring with a microphone. He was the star of the show in the ring and walking away again. This guy is money. I wonder what ever happened to him. Yeah, absolutely. Though, si. A star is born. It can't mm. be understated at this point. Like again, he's entirely got that character together. Um, I can't wait to see more. Yeah, is that yours as well? Is it or uh, for me? Actually, it's the Kid Camacho match. Okay, yeah, that because came very close to being mine as well because Tyson Kid's brilliant. <laughs> Tyson Kid's brilliant. Camacho's brilliant. I think again, two individuals that were woefully underutilized by WWE could have done so much more legitimately could have been tippy top stars. I mean, you look at Camacho and you go, that's Roman Reigns before Roman Reigns showed up. Mm. He's got that same swagger. He's got that same, like everything he does is crisp and solid. I don't know how his mic work is. I don't know enough about him, but I imagine he can probably handle himself. Um, Again, I just think I rate Camacho very highly. And as you said, Tyson kid is just, the quintessent, just the best, probably the best technical wrestler there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So then, hit, miss, or middling, my friend. What are you giving it this week? 
I think that I've still got to give it a hit. The reason being that, really? okay, yeah, the reason being that it's still, it's still achieving its aims. It's mm-hmm. it's laying that foundation. It's keeping things going. It's setting up a few things. Like if you're able to look back at, you know, wind up and look at that big picture, I think it's still nailing nailing its targets. I'll probably set the bar higher when, uh, you know, once it's a little more established. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Uh, for me, it's probably more of a top end middle, I guess, I, sp- I suppose, for me. Uh, the main event, like I said, was flat. I didn't get nothing from that. I, I try and look at it when, when I sort of do the, the, the hit miss middle section at the end of what comes into my head is how much do I enjoy it first time round, and then how much would I want to go back and watch it in the future? How much will I rewatch? And I'd rewatch the Tyson Kid match again because I think the guy's great. The promos, I'm not too arsed on. Bray Wyatt debuting for me obviously was the highlight, but then a big portion of this show was the main event, and I got no interest in watching that again. So that drops it down a bit for me. So yeah, somewhere in the middle for me, bud. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Again, I think I possibly disliked the main event less than you did, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that I love the main event. It was, no. it was, it was there. <laughs> It was fun. Yeah. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. So then that brings us to the end of our fourth episode. Uh, Joshua, do you want to let people know whereabouts they can find you online on the Twitter machines and any companies to look out for where you may be throwing people around and stamping on them and all sorts. (laughs) I am on Twitter at Joshua Goodwin, PW uh, Joshua Goodwin on Facebook Uh, places. You might find me uh, exposure pro wrestling um, EVM, and I also will attend any birthdays or bar mitzvahs that anyone has. You now they want me to do, just give me a ring. Yeah, especially if a relative turns up who's not welcome, because that can be the person you throw around. Oh, perfect. <laughs> but that costs extra. Um, you can find me online at SJP Words, and the network is where you really want to be concentrating your follows, etc., upon. And that is at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And that you know, the main feed there, you have all the shows that you rise and fall of NXT, which is obviously this one. You have Nitro Nights, Chain Wrestling, um, checking at Power Palace, all sorts going on there. Looking at modern day WWE, you have Betty Mack doing that for us within the corner. Uh, the guys from the States, RSH, looking at WWE Weekly for us there as well. So much going on. So much going on. Uh, but you can follow this show on Twitter at NXT underscore Royce and fall. And also in the section or well, the description for the podcast, you'll get all the details of where to follow us in there. Anyway, there will be a link for merchandise for the SJP world media network with a rather fetching NXT rise on four t-shirt there, but you can also get in a hoodie, a mug, a face mask. If people are still wearing those, I saw someone on the bus with one earlier on. That's the first one I've seen for quite a while to be fair, but yeah, there you go. Loads of options out there. So that's at NXT underscore rise on four and at SJP world media. Joshua, I'm looking forward to next week already, bud. Oh, it's going to be fun. Looking forward to Slater and Gabriel. Hopefully their wrestling's better than they're talking. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. I'll see you next week, my friend. I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.